Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're in the world of sustainability. We're in the world of recycling. Uh, you're going to recognize my guest. He has been on before, but like three years ago. I know, crazy. I am so excited. Tom Zakey's back. He is the CEO of TerraCycle. Tom, it is so great to have you back on the ContenderCast. Thanks for having me. It's so great. I think you're one of a, only a handful that have made a uh, made two visits to the show, and I was so excited to have you back on. Your company is doing amazing things in the industry, um, and really, I mean, it's, it's such a cool story, and there's so much to unpack with you, so even since the last time we talked a couple years ago. So thanks for spending time with us. Let's do this first. Um, uh, I know you've been at this for a while, but share just a, a, the top line, you know, one or two minutes on what is TerraCycle and what are you guys doing today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so TerraCycle is a global waste management organization. We uh, operate in 22 countries around the world. Uh, two as a nonprofit, 20 uh, as a for-profit. And uh, our mission is to elevate the idea of waste. And uh, we do that with sort of three major ways. We collect and recycle things that are hard to recycle from dirty diapers to cigarette butts. We then integrate waste back into consumer products, uh, like from ocean plastic to the garbage on the top of Mount Everest. Uh, and wow. then uh, we have a platform called Loop, our third division, which is all about shifting from single-use ecosystems, disposable products to reusables. Got it. Well, and that's great. And some of those, not all of those even existed a couple of years ago. Where did you start? Like, what was the first thing? And I know you're rewinding the clock a number of years now with TerraCycle, but what was the initial focus? And then talk about how it's progressed in terms of growth over time. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, we've always had this central goal of solving for waste, but we started the journey way back when, I mean, now 18 years that's ago. so crazy. By, right. It's nuts, isn't it? Um, by making products out of garbage, uh, technically worm poop and used soda bottles that we sold at places like Walmart and Home Depot and so on. Um, uh, but really thinking about how do we become a consumer good company making products out of waste. And uh, we realized that that's not going to really help us achieve solving for any type of waste because we're going to be wanting to pick the very best of the garbage that's out there. Right. And that's <laughs> what it. Exactly. Pivoted, yeah, it pivoted us to where we are today. And uh, we've actually you know, just recently hit that sort of proverbial hockey stick. You know, we've grown every year since we were founded, but sure. um, just in the past three years, we almost tripled in size and are, you know, on a pretty exciting growth trajectory. Wow. Okay. So for those listening that are entrepreneurs or thinking about starting their own business, uh, Tom and TerraCycle have been around 19 years. Okay. So, and yeah. he just hit the proverbial hockey stick. So it takes time sometimes and um, persistence and uh, real passion for this space, which if you know Tom, uh, you know this is his space and he loves it. Um, and then that's what gets me so excited about it. Um, let, let, so what has driven that? Like what, what changed or was there any change or was it yeah, just time yeah. finally, you know, brewed this, this growth? I think it's both, you know, um, w one is uh, uh, the world woke up to this issue in a very meaningful way. It's even measurable. If you look at like Google search statistics, end of 2017, early 2018, the world moved from garbage being a problem 
to a crisis. You know, it's right. uh, landmarks where you know turtles with their straws oh, uh, with no. with with, uh, with straw up the their nose. The big plastic thing our... in the ocean, like that. What do you call yeah. it? The big, all the ocean plastic. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. All this stuff became like you know something that people finally understood, and uh, then uh, uh, everyone woke up, and they you know even the pandemic hasn't uh, shifted the focus away, which is amazing. And then the other part is. We really, you know, when that happened, we were ready for it in the sense that we had figured out our craft. We had built really good relationships over over time. And so, um, you know, the organizations out there, you know, uh, really leaned in to work with us. And I think it's both those things together that manifested, you know, what we're living through now for us. Sure. Wow. Uh, I spend most of my uh, day and my day job in the consumer product space, um, a contributor to products that need to be recycled, right? As well as yeah. a user of recycled material to make products. Um, talk about your interactions with the CPG brands. What does that look like? And even new brands. Absolutely. So in all of our TerraCycle divisions or Loop, you know, we are a platform uh, for brands and retailers in the consumer space. So it's everyone from like, say, Nestle to P&G. They first work with us on packaging forms or products that are not locally recyclable. So a product could be like a Gillette razor blade or a Pampers diaper or a, uh, a package could be something like a, a baby food pouch with Gerber. Um, and then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples. And they fund us to be able to create a national platforms so consumers can collect and recycle what they couldn't recycle before. And what, what is important here is what makes something not recyclable simply that recycling companies can't make money doing it. So it's an economic gap that we're solving. And you know we don't just come in with sustainability. We come in by showing them how they can achieve their baseline goals by being more purposeful. And it's that idea that echoes all of our divisions. Got it. So uh, you're now in 21 countries, um, and I was uh, amazed at your global impact. And you have to talk about what this means. People recycling, nearly 203 million. Uh, waste recycling, 7.8 billion. And then money for charity, you guys have raised 45 million. Let's talk about what those numbers mean and how, that, how, how you're calculating that. Yeah, absolutely. So today, TerraCycle programs are used on average by about a, a little bit over 200 million people per day interact with our Got programs. It. That could be, you know, you walking into a store and recycling something at a store environment, you know, whether a Walmart or a body shop boutique, you know, everything in between. Um, then uh, uh, our programs have raised, uh, we've donated out just under $45 million uh, because when you use our programs, in many cases, you can raise money for charity in, uh, in the process. It. Okay, makes um, sense. And that's just a nice incentive that we're able to add on to the programs. And we use that incentive to be very transparent, to encourage you to do the right behavior with our programs, you know, like shipping more waste uh, than, than less and things like that. And uh, then the, the middle number is how much waste uh, we're actually collecting and recycling that it would otherwise be destined for landfill or incinerator. And uh, another way to look at it is we do probably about a million pounds a week of uh, waste that would otherwise uh, not have a solution. on. Wow. And, you know, I, I think if we asked, we polled our listeners today and asked them, you know, what's the st- kind of what's your state of recycling personally? I see a mixed bag and, and it seems like it's it's not so easy to have recycling programs from a personal perspective or in neighborhoods and locations. What makes recycling difficult? Like, why aren't there more programs? And is it just too costly or what does that look like? It's one simple thing, right? It, it's people tend to think of, oh, you know, like one waste stream is more technically recyclable than the other. You know, that's usually where the conversation goes. But what it's really about is whether a garbage company can make money, right? right. So if if a garbage company can make money recycling that object, it will. 
Right. And if it can't, it won't. And it'll right. figure out how to dispose it and throw it out as cheaply as possible. I mean, it's that simple. So, you know, when, when, uh, uh, and, and the recycler's business model is, is pretty simple. They have the cost of collecting the waste and processing it. Sure. And they compare that to whatever they can sell the resulting materials for. And unfortunately, the economics are not good and they're getting worse. You know, oil prices being low and maintaining low, uh, end markets, you know, being challenged. Uh, uh, and even what, we give to the waste stream, the input is becoming progressively worse because as packaging gets lighter and thinner, that means sure. less material for recyclers in the end. Right. I always think about like the, you know, those plastic bags from the grocery store are so thin. And I was told those aren't actually recyclable. And I, I you know, I think a lot of people probably ball those up and put them in the recycle bin. I, I think that very well could be the case. That's you know, what crazy. ends up happening is they just get thrown out at the end. Oh, wow. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. one, one of the really cool programs you guys have launched is the first National Razor Recycling Program with Gillette. Um, yeah. Very, very cool tie-in with the brand. How, how does that work? And what makes that unique? Like, aren't, we, aren't razors already recycled or not? I don't even know. No, no. So razors, uh, blades and razors are a good example where they could be, right? And we do it uh, in five countries now, not just the US, uh, but they're not recyclable because of that economic problem. It would cost more for recyclers uh, to do it than the resulting metal and plastics are worth. And so Gillette funds us in the US, uh, Canada, all the way to Australia, even the UK, uh, now Spain, to be able to uh, create uh, the world's first national razor blade recycling program. And so consumers can go to our website, uh, they can access the program all free uh, thanks to you know to, to Gillette and Venus and uh, you get free shipping so you can send in your blades and razors they cover the cost of recycling it and then you get a little donation to any uh, location you wish and it's a wonderful uh, way for a waste stream that had no solution on it to now be able to be recycled and uh you know, and, and for Gillette, it works. It, 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 it's making them, you know, it, it's not just good for sustainability, but it's also good for their business. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and I, I mentioned earlier, sustainability in the consumer products world is is like front and center. You know, this is how Gillette own, is owned by P&G. Um, they have a big, yep. man, I'll say a, not a mandate, but almost like a one of their major vision statements is around sustainability and um, neutrality around that. And you'll find that with just about every major brand. And I've I've seen that really trend upward the last couple of years. Has that, do you think, helped your business? And what does that look like? It absolutely, measurably has helped our, our enterprise. And this is because people are caring, right? So it sure. always starts with the individual, right? Then that is echoed in lawmakers, politicians, you know, pass laws like in Seattle banning the plastic straw or Ireland banning plastic bags. And then brands notice that and the smart ones want to get ahead of it, then then be uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, susceptible to whatever the outcomes may be. And so that's why we see this sort of thing. But like, you know, give an example in Spain, uh, the, 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 some of the islands in the Mediterranean uh, and uh, you know, the region of Valencia banned certain disposable items, including razors, unless they have a recycling solution. Right? So Got it's it. so important you know, for brands to get ahead on this so that it's not reacting to legislation, but really driving the conversation. Interesting. Um, from your leadership perspective, where do you have to spend your time now versus maybe in the past? Have you, you know, obviously you've built a broader team and whatnot, but how have you personally um, shifted in terms of your focus and where you spend your time in terms of growing the business? Yeah, I mean, we're now, you know, from an office-based team member uh, basis, we're about 500 people, you wow, know, and so we have a, yeah, it's, it's been pretty good. I, you know, we have a, a phenomenal team, you know, that really makes it all happen. Where I spend a lot of my time is, uh, uh, you know, where are the new exciting opportunities, you know, uh, 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 whether that's on 
uh, areas of, uh, you know, different areas of growth, innovating, uh, you know, new ways to elevate and eliminate the idea of waste. Let me give you an example. We're now um, uh, developing a new division, our diagnostic division, which has the, uh, the, the thesis that certain waste streams carry diagnosable samples. Like think okay. your air condition filter has sure. uh, the crud of your air on it or your water filters fil- uh, water, you know, f- filtering out the, ch- you know, what's in your water or your child's diaper carries a fecal sample. And so all these examples you're going to see live in the next year or two abilities for you to send in, you know, one water filter or a diaper, and then you get back a wellness report on the state of your child's health. And this is all about where can we take waste? And so a lot of my time is spent on helping nurture and foster these innovations that we can now uh, get. (laughs) So cool. Who would have thought? Um, So how did, okay, so I'll I'll head down that path. I I just said it myself. Who would have thought, how does innovation work for you? I mean, you're in a place where, you know, you're, way past the early stages. So now it is these, it's like innovation, I'll call it. Like what is, how does innovation work for you guys? So for us, we, we are always focused around, uh, 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 Mostly, how do we get to MVPs, you know, uh, uh, minimum viable products that we can get out there and test quickly and uh, and uh, 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 test from a sales uh, point of view. So we're really, you know, open to almost any idea that we can especially put in front of a customer or a client and let their feedback drive the innovation process versus doing like big, you know, uh, years of research and market testing, and then sort of you know, investing heavily in putting out the idea. And this way, if we do it this way, we can do it in a very agile way and keep pivoting based on what we're what we're learning. So we come up with sort of thesis statements, like sure. you know, a certain waste stream carries a diagnosable sample, or how do you shift from single use to reusable, and so on and so forth. And that then is the is the center point. And then from there, it's let the customer give the feedback, and then really listen to it and pivot, pivot, pivot till we get it right. Wow. That's kind of cool. And I'm guessing that process has evolved over time as you've grown your team. Uh, absolutely. I mean, even now we're uh, just in the middle of uh, uh, forming a formal incubator department, not incubator in the sense of, you know, we're investing in companies and letting them have some right. shared space and services, sure. but uh, incubator where uh, it's a department where these new uh, sort of embryonic ideas can go. And their job is to basically turn it from idea into an MVP that can then be moved into a core department uh, and then grown. And uh, this allows us to really spread our wings because one of the things I love about waste is that, I mean, it's an industry where it will literally own everything you possess one day. And relative to how big it is, the innovation is microscopic. It's unbelievable. If you think of the scale and scope, right? Mm. Um, you, you, you mentioned loop earlier, explain to our audience what loop is and how it works. Yeah. So Loop is a platform for reuse. Um, and it has this thesis that there's already reusable supply chains out there. You know, our propane tanks for our barbecues are reusable. Uh, our beer kegs are reusable. And mind you, I bet you anyone who has a beer keg in a, at home and a barbecue is not doing either of those uh, <laughs> right. things because of sustainability, right? right? Right. But what's the problem? Let's say now you've used up your beer keg and you have an empty beer keg and an empty propane tank. Right. You got to take the propane tank to a place like Home Depot. Home Depot. You can't take yep, the beer keg there. And you got to take the beer keg to a beer place and you can't take the propane tank there. That's right. And that's just two products. <laughs> so how do we really scale that to everything? And that's what Loop tries to solve is to be a platform for reuse where effectively any consumer product brand can enter and create a reusable version of its product. And then any retailer can make those available to their, uh, uh, to their consumers. And then when you buy, say, anything from a Tide laundry detergent to uh, you know, Haagen-Dazs ice cream in a beautiful reusable package, 
you can then return it to any other retailer that's in the loop ecosystem. And uh, it's been phenomenal. I mean, this thing only was, uh, uh, was uh, uh, you know, we only debuted it live less than three years ago. And today it's live in Japan, UK, France, Canada, US, soon launching in Australia. Wow. Um, 150 major consumer product brands, you know, even P&G and Nestle have invested into it. Uh, it's, it's really been a whirlwind. And what's cool is that it sort of makes TerraCycle a combination of moonshots. You know, Loop is very much a right. moonshot with uh, base moneymakers, which is sort of like the base TerraCycle recycling business. And you get sort of both both aspects, uh, uh, which is really exciting uh, and uh, creates actually a lot of stability. Yeah, and it's interesting too. You know, you think about the consumer uh, today and a lot of the newer brands in food and beverage, again, my focus, are starting off with a sustainability like mantra and focus and packaging. Like that's one of the things they're starting with, like from from day one, right? Yes. Um, are they coming to you? Are you able to help them in terms of figuring out what packaging should look like or connect them with the right packaging people to be thinking about that? What? How, how, how can you help new brands? Yeah, absolutely. I think what new brands have that is really exciting is they can start from a blank slate right. instead of trying to shift and you know turn turn the engine. Um, so we work with uh, with pre revenue companies all the time. Whether it's thinking about you know how to, how will they be able to uh, ensure that their product is recycled or made from recycled content or even reusable out of the gate. Um, I think you know the the important thing for a brand to think of is it, as it's thinking about its. Uh, uh, end of life questions, which are always going to be the case on packaging. And then sometimes the case on content sure. um, is, can you eliminate components altogether, you know, and just not have them? Cause then there's nothing to worry about recycling or reusing or anything. Then uh, thinking about reusable is the next best, then locally recyclable. And then if those aren't available, then creating your own platform, you know, like what TerraCycle does and trying to avoid not having a choice. I think consumers are demanding it more and more. And it's soon, I think having a product that's at minimum recyclable and made from recycled content will probably just become table stakes uh, within right. a few years. It's almost you know? an expectation. Yeah. And I think retailers, especially big ones, will make it a requirement of listing uh, right. uh, coming up. I mean, at some I point, totally you, won't, that. <laughs> yeah, you won't be able to put a non-recyclable product on the shelf at Walmart, I bet you, within a few years. That's so funny you say that. I mean, yeah. I was just going to bring up Walmart, of course, there's been once or, tw once or twice over the last 15, 20 years when they've put out a mandate. They, um, years ago, put one out around RFID and everybody in, in the consumer products world had to shift um more mm -hmm. recently they've put out a new mandate around like you know when you deliver product to their stores and like if you don't deliver when they say then you get fined like i mean you know they're so big like in and a, a retailer like a walmart a costco a public safeway kroger all those they are a majority a big part of the business of most cbg brands so anyway absolutely and you want to design your product so it can go everywhere right sure. not absolutely. just in a direct-to-consumer fashion i mean in you know dtc you can do anything you want but right. even then consumers are you know th th this is becoming these standards because it's what people want and people's desire is what drives everything. Oh, love that. Um, what's ahead, you know, anything in terms of your focus, the next six to 12 months, what are keys to, to growth? I mean, are you getting access to the, it sounds, I mean, you're already working with a lot of the big brands are some of them still discovering TerraCycle? What, I mean, you know, what are the things you're focused on? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we are in very much a growth mode right now. So we are, uh, you know, really excited about how do we just keep accelerating, you know, how fast we're growing, uh, you know, uh, not just new countries, but really thickening and scaling our recycling programs so that they're not just available, but really becoming large in, in, in the volume that they're affecting. Um, 
uh, we're really excited about where Loop will go. You know, we have a lot of major retailers launching uh, 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 physically in store. So in the U.S., you'll see it soon in store in Kroger, followed by Walgreens, uh, and then uh, retailers around the world. Um, and then continuing to innovate on how we can eliminate and elevate waste. Really, where can we take it uh, so that hopefully... You know, we wake up and uh, this idea of garbage was something that, you know, uh, was sort of an anomaly because it only really came onto the scene in the 1950s. And I would hope that we can take it off the scene, you know, within 100 years of it uh, appearing. And why do you say the 50s? Like what, what happened then? What was what was the innovation then that kind of started to fuel this? Disposability. Got it. OK, wow. Right. I mean, before then, right, we 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 didn't have complex materials like things were made out of things that wouldn't become waste in the sense, right? You know, like a chair before the 50s was probably made from wood or metal, where if you threw yes. it in the forest, it would have been fine. Um, today, it's mostly made from, you know, complex materials like plastics, sure. and it would not be okay to put that in the forest. Right. Um, and that goes for everything. Our clothing, you know, polyesters and nylons and all these things only appeared in the 50s. And that is compounded by a tenfold increase in consumption. Wow. Uh, it is nuts how much we buy right now so relative crazy. to the past. Well, I don't think people realize that either. I mean, you, you just don't think about it if you're not in around it like you are, you know? No, because I think it's like a frog in hot water. You know, like we don't notice the change, <laughs> right. right? You know, like analogy. month over month. Right. Uh, but if you zoom out and realize that, I mean, literally, we are consuming 10 times more stuff today than 70 years ago. Um, ask your grandparents, right? Like, you know, uh, 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 what, you know, what type of size house they lived in, how many cars they had, right. how many, just even simple things like how many pairs of socks were in the closet? <laughs> right. Don't ask me that right? question. No, it's <laughs> right. horrible now. Right. It is absurd. Or how many toys the kids had. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, wow. No, that, that's so true though. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs. Uh, you've learned a lot in the time that you've launched and grown this brand. You've worked with other new brands. Like, what would be two or three pieces of advice you'd offer to entrepreneurs out there, especially around this space, as they're thinking about their products um, growing and, and pursuing new consumers? Like, what is that? What, what would yeah. be some advice you'd share? I think, you know, the biggest learning I've had in running, you know, what you would call a purposeful or mission driven, whatever synonym you want to put on it, right. type business is that there's a tremendous amount of power, business power in purpose. You know how like brands, there's a lot of value in brands. You don't see it on your P&L per se, but people, there's a lot of equity value and sort of overall value in having a good brand. Having core purpose is the same. Uh, it will allow you to attract phenomenal people to join your organization. It's going to allow you to access leadership at the companies you want to interact with way easier. Um, it's going to get more publicity on your organization. Uh, it's going to make everything easier if you have not just like a nice sustainability thing on the side, but like your organization exists to make the world or society better. That is going to pay off uh, tremendously, even on a PL. You just won't see it there objectively. Oh, I love that. And I agree. If you build that into your brand, you know, the elements that make up your brand, then you can be going to market. And I'd say it, it sets your brand apart, right? I mean, yeah. it's a unique element to it. Yes. Uh, I love it. Uh, share with our audience where they can connect with you, learn more, how they can get engaged with TerraCycle, etc. Absolutely. So if you're interested in TerraCycle, TerraCycle.com is a good starting point. 
in loop, uh, loopstore.com is a great start or explore loop. We just launched as well, which is more of a corporate website, uh, uh is great to check out. And then, uh, you can get me, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, <laughs> and, uh, love to connect there as well. Dude, this is so great. It's been so great having you back on, uh, Tom. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to staying in touch and having you back on down the road. Um, I, I look you know, forward to it. Let's, <laughs> let's make it, let's make it three. Regular Justin, thing. I really appreciate, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, man. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.